You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Habakkuk uh, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength, and he makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on my high places. Good morning. Somebody say good morning. Who has the crud? Just a few of you. Who's afraid to raise their hand and say, I have the crud? Who's afraid to look around because you think maybe somebody has the coronavirus or something? I shouldn't joke. All right. Uh, well, um, I'm doing better. I want to. I got on drugs. Not like I got on medicine. Uh, some of you are like, yeah, I knew you were on drugs. Um, I got on. I got medicine on Monday. They had me taking steroids, so I feel strong. And uh, they gave me some horse pills called antibiotics. They're like that big. But I feel good. So for the first time in three weeks. The ushers are going to come forward, and they're going to take uh, the morning's offering. If you're visiting with us, please don't feel obligated to give. But if you could let us know how you found out about us, how you found out about Meadowbrook, that would be awesome. Uh, If you have a prayer request, if there's something that you want us to pray for every Monday... When we have our staff meeting, we pray for every single prayer request that is, that is submitted to Meadowbrook. So do that. If you don't have time to do that before the bag passes your way, there's a box on the, uh, when you leave, when you go out those doors, there's a box there. You can just drop it in, in that. Also, just to re, uh, remind you, if you have questions related about anything regarding the sermon series, uh, we're going to have a, a Q&A Sunday at the, end of this, uh, at the end of this series. All right. So I've been, I've been looking forward to this sermon series uh, for, for a while, uh, but this, this sermon I've been, I've been thinking about, it's been in my heart, it's been stewing in me for, well, for, for a while, I, I, be, since I became, be, was called to be your pastor. And so I've been praying over this and been thinking about it for a while. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is the one we're going to look at this morning in Habakkuk. We're still going to uh, go back to Psalm 139. I'll still kind of refer back to that. That is, you know, that's the foundational passage in this sermon series. But uh, today I want to talk about loss. Now last week we ta- I talked about, uh, the, the title of the sermon was, Who Am I When I Do Not Feel Whole? And this week, Who Am I When, I, when I've Lost So Much? And so both sermons are really, they're kind of like one and two. I mean, we're, we're, they're both dealing with suffering. Elizabeth Elliot suffered uh, immensely. How many of you have heard of Elizabeth Elliot? Okay, more of you in this service than the first service. How, how, how many of you have heard of Jim Elliot? Okay, so Elizabeth Elliot, if you don't know, Elizabeth Elliot was married to Jim Elliot. And Jim Elliot was one of the five missionaries who was speared to death in Ecuador when they tried to bring the gospel to an unreached people group. And, uh, and, and so he, he died. I think they were married for a little over two years, uh, and they had a little baby uh, when, when he died. 
she, uh, as you, some of you know, uh, she was one of the ladies that went back into the jungle and uh, brought the gospel to the people who were responsible for murdering her husband. And uh, the miraculous story of the whole thing is that they wound up, uh, many of them wound up giving their, their lives to Jesus. And uh, I think I shared this story a while back, but and I wish I thought enough to, to put a picture up on the screen, but there's this beautiful picture of uh, two of the Indians who were responsible for killing uh, Nate Saint, uh, baptizing Nate Saint's uh, son and daughter in the river that they dumped their father's body in because they had placed their faith and trust in Jesus. So it's a miraculous story. But Elizabeth Elliot suffered... Uh, uh, quite a bit. She, when she came back to the States, so her husband died in 1958 of January 8th. Uh, when she came back to the States in 1963, uh, she went up marrying in 1969 her second husband, Addison, who was a professor of theology at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. They were married only for a short time because he passed away from cancer. He, he had cancer and he died in 1973. In 1977, she married her third husband, Lars, who uh, outlived her. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot passed away in 19, or, uh, 2015. She had written, I think, at least 24 books. I was, doing, I was looking through all the different books that she had read or that she had written, and uh, I, at least 10 of them touch on suffering or loss. I say all that because I was listening to a series of talks that she gave on suffering and the cross, and... Uh, and she said something that I had not heard. I had not heard suffering defined this way. And I wanted you to know a little bit about her life before I shared with you what she said. This is what she said: Suffering is having what you don't want and wanting what you don't have. Suffering is having what you don't want and wanting what you don't have. Think about that. And I think when we th when we think about loss, which is also you know, the result of what happens as a result of suffering in many ways. A loss could be defined the same way. Loss is having what you don't want and wanting what you don't have. And uh, that's what I want to talk about. If there's any person in the Bible and that understood loss, Habakkuk was one of those people. Uh, it's a, I would love to preach on Habakkuk one day. Uh, or one, one, one month or whatever, but we don't have that time. So I have to do this in, in one, one, one sermon. Um, but when you read through Habakkuk, just so you understand the context, the first two chapters are his two complaints and God's two answers. So, so basically, his first complaint was, why do you, why, why do you not act? Why, why, why do you just idly stand back and watch evil take place? You're holy. What, you know, what, what's going on? And then the second complaint was, where's your justice? The second complaint came as a result of, his, of God's answer to his first complaint. Uh, so we're, gonna, we're just going to unpack this. So there are three principles that Habakkuk, I believe, gives us for dealing with loss in our lives. Now, this is not an easy button. This is not like if you've experienced loss and you're still grieving and your wounds still feel deep over loss, this is, I'm not going to offer you an easy button. Just apply these three principles and you're going to get over it. Um, but these are three principles that emerge from not just Habakkuk, but through, throughout the scriptures. And the first is this, that when you're in, encountering loss, when you're experiencing loss, uh, to remember who God is, to remember who God is. So 
when you go to chapter 1 in Habakkuk, Habakkuk laments. He complains about what's going on in, in, in his nation. You had this, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel. They were split in two. Judah was known as the more, uh, they had the better track record of obeying God than, than the northern kingdom. And so now they're just, they're just rampant idolatry. There's all kinds of stuff that's, that's immoral that's happening in Judah. And, and Habakkuk was concerned about all these things, and he complains in verses 1 through 4, and the words will be on the screen, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Any of you felt that way before? Have you ever, like, how long? I, I've been praying about this for, for, for days, for months, for years. How long? Uh, how long will you not hear or Cry, or I cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth uh, perverted. You ever feel that way? I mean, just kind of what's happening in our world right now. Like the church in Africa suffering under persecution. I think it was either earlier this week or late last week. It was just another report of, I don't know how many uh, Christians were, were murdered. Uh, a, a pregnant woman, I believe, was burned to death. How long, Lord? How long? I've had those questions. And you, right now, some of you are th you're going back. You know, you're, you're thinking, yeah, I remember. There, there's this time in my life where I just pleaded with God, how long? Maybe some of you are like, hey, he's still not answering me. There was a pastor of a church in Pennsylvania who took me under his wing. This is the church, uh, Calvary Baptist in Bristol, Pennsylvania. I was the custodian, see? I cleaned all of that. That was my responsibility. Um, there were, in the, auditor in the auditorium where everybody met, it was all windows. And so it was my goal that there would be no fingerprints on those windows when, when the church service started. Uh, it was a lot of work. I had, Seth was just, or no, Nathan was just a baby. I had him strapped on the back of my, my back, and I was vacuuming the, the, the building while I was also as, as a seminary student as well. But uh, the pastor, I'll leave him on name because we're now friends on Facebook. Uh, the pastor w took me under his wing. He, he mentored me. He gave me opportunities to preach. He sensed that God was calling me to be a pastor. I, I honestly could tell you that if it weren't for that pastor, I'm not sure I would be, that I would be a pastor today. And, uh, and, but as a custodian, you know, you, you see things. And uh, there was stuff happening with him that was questionable. And, uh, and it, it broke my heart. And I knew it was inevitable that if things didn't change, he was going to get in trouble. And he did. He was uh, fired from the church for ethical reasons that I think would have resulted, would eventually been moral reasons that he would have been fired from the church. It was devastating to me. Um, I, I wondered, what was, what was the purpose in all that? What was God doing in all that? Besides the obvious, a reminder to me, don't do the same thing, <laughs> right? It's like, uh, and also... Sometimes when we experience this kind of thing in our lives where somebody important to us or somebody we look up to falls morally or disappoints us, uh, the other reminder should be, you're capable too. And, um, 
And I've had several pastors in my life who were a reminder to me, you know, if you don't guard your heart, you too are capable of doing some of the same things. And Habakkuk said, well, how long? How long will will you sit back idly? And God's answer to him is found in verses 5 through 7 of chapter 1. And I'm going to be going back to the NIV uh, in this because I think the NIV gets Habakkuk, (laughs) gets it better than than the ESV. In fact, there are a lot of Old Testament passages where I think the NIV just does a better job with their translating. And and so in verses 5 and 7, God says this to Habakkuk. This is his answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless ruthless people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. To which Habakkuk's response was, that's not the answer I was looking for. I wanted something better, like, not, not that. You are, I mean, you mean to tell me, God, that you're going to raise up a more wicked people to judge a less wicked people? That's how you're going to judge their sin? I, I, I'm not sure I'm okay with that. And I, we don't have the time to get, get into it. I'd encourage you to read Habakkuk. But God's answer to Habakkuk is, no, no. Justice will come to the Babylonians too just not in your lifetime. What you're going to experience is my discipline upon my people. And then when you get to chapter 3, Habakkuk shifts. No longer is he complaining. His response is, okay, I know who you are, and I get it, and I'm okay. I'm okay with it. That was his response. But what he does in chapter 3 is he reminds himself of who God is. It's exactly what David did in Psalm 139. That God is all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. He is infinite. He's he's equally good as he is just. And and that that I could trust him. Even though I don't understand him, I can trust him. That he knows what he's doing. And I can can believe that. And And I know that whatever the outcome is going to be, it's going to be because God is good. And so that's what he does in chapter 3. But then when you get to verse 16, reality sets in for him. And he's like, I, I, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon, come upon the enemies of God, the, the Babylonians. Like, I, I know you're a good God and you're going to balance the scales of justice. But earlier in chapter 3, he, he said, look, uh, oh Lord, <laughs> oh, uh, the, the one who keeps covenant, Yahweh, that's God's personal name, I, I've heard the report of you and your works, and, 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 do I, and I fear that. I mean, I'm in all of that. In the midst of, uh, of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, I love this line, in wrath, remember mercy. God, I know that you're going to you're gonna, you have to execute your justice, but as you execute justice, remember mercy. The NIV says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. You know, I know who you are. I stand in awe of your deeds. You've parted the seas. You've spoke galaxies into existence. You, you've raised the dead uh, to life. 
I'm aware of your deeds. I'm in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. You know, you know what the prophet is doing? He's preaching the gospel to his own heart. He's reminding himself of who God is. God, God is good. Like, I don't understand why he's doing what he's doing and, and why he's not responding in the time frame. I think he should respond, in, but, but I know he's good. And he, and he says, and I hear, like I, 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 I hear what's coming, I know who God is, and, my, and I'm, I'm, I'm trembling. In fact, the Hebrew word for uh, body here in the ESV is, is bowels. Like, a, like my, my bowels are trembling. Now, you do the, you know, use your imagination. Um, if you've ever been scared, like really scared, like when I did my first Tough Mudder and I was standing on top of, uh, I hate heights. Anybody who knows me, I, I, I'm okay with being on the top of a mountain as long as my feet or my bike is on the road. But I don't want to be above. Like, I don't want there to be space between me and the ground. And so, so I remember doing the Tough Mudder and, and I knew it was coming. And it was, I forget what they called it, um, but the, I, it was like a 15-foot jump into water. And, and, I, and I knew it was coming. And they put it where, like, they didn't, I didn't even know when, when it was coming. I just knew it was coming. It, I was dreading it. Like, I was, like, petrified. And, and then when we got to that obstacle... Uh, people were doing the walk of shame back down. That's what we call the walk of shame. I learned that from my son. I'll that's a whole other story. But uh, I got up to the top and I looked down. I'm like, oh crap! I'm like, you know, they make it look like it's a million feet below you. And and I thought, well, I'm committed now. And so I jumped off. Felt like my 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 stomach was in my throat. Um, and I did it. But uh, I was trembling. I felt queasy when I looked down. Habakkuk, like God's judgment is coming, and I'm, I'm nauseous. I am about to vomit over this, and and not only that, my lips are quivering. I mean, I can't even contain myself. This is overwhelming. And then he said, and I'm fear, fear, filled with so much fear that it feels like my legs are like rottenness in my bones. I can barely stand on my feet. And this is really important because of what he's going to say in verses 18 and 19. He says, I can barely stand on my, on my feet, but I know who you are, and I will quietly wait. I'm not going to protest again. I'm not going to complain I'm going to quietly wait. I'm going to quietly wait on you. So the first principle is just knowing and remembering who God is. And the second principle is found in verses 17 through 18. Understand that God is all you need. Now that sounds cliche. I told you, this is not an easy button. Like if you've experienced divorce, death, disease, whatever it is, like applying these principles to your life is not going to make you feel better the next day. It's going to help you heal. It's going to help you navigate through uh, life's uncertainties. But so he says, you know, understand God is all you need. In verse 17, he says, though the fig tree should not blossom and nor fruit be on the vines and the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls. Even though that happens, I'm going to rejoice in you. I mean, what is, what is the prophet talking about here? If I lost everything, 
I'm still going to be able to rejoice in you. Why? Well, because of verses, or chapter 3, verses 2 through 15. That's why. I, I know who you are. I know what you're capable of doing. And I know, I know you will never let me go. I might lose everything, but you're not going to let me go. That, that, that my relationship with you in terms of being your son or being your daughter is not conditioned on my ability to hold on to you. You're going to hold on to me. That's a principle all through the Bible. Even if I lose my retirement, the bank account's cleaned out, there's no food in the refrigerator, my car won't start, you know, whatever. My family, you know, you doesn't want anything to do with me. My, my spouse filed a divorce. Even when those things come into my life, I, I, I can know that you are all that I need. Like, you, you will not let me go. Our purpose, our life, our thriving can only be found in the one for whom we exist. That's the message of Psalm 139. You and me, we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And I said last week that for the people of God, and David certainly was, you know, knew he was a son of the, of the God of all creation, that for the people of God, you are reverently and extraordinarily set apart for the, for the glory of God and, and for your good and for the good of those around you. Like he's got a purpose and design for your life. I said last week, he does not waste tears and he does not waste your hurts. And Nathan's story reminded us of that. He's still kind of, he's working through some of that, that pain still. And the, the, I mean, that's why Paul said, I believe in 2 Corinthians, he said, you know what? Some of you have experienced some pretty horrific, horrific things in your life. You've suffered much. But listen, God is the God of all comfort, and he, he's using the pain that you experienced and the comfort you experienced through him so that he could use you to comfort others. That's where I get that, for your good and also for the good of those around you, part of it. Habakkuk says, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to take joy in the God of my salvation. This is so key in um, and what he's saying here. If you look at verses 17 through 19, verse 18, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That falls right in the center of, of his response. I'm not going to complain, but I'm going to rest in God. I'm going to rest in him. Uh, William uh, Coper, in his poem that turned into a hymn, God moves in a mysterious way. I mean, those two lines. Um, you know, you fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break on, in blessings on your head. And let's read this together, the last line. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. I didn't share that poem with you last, uh, two weeks ago, um, or last week, but, uh, but it's so true. That this is a, that God is a God that you can, that you can in confidence, all the confidence in the world that He will not let you go. Even when it feels like everything underneath you is being stripped away, that the, 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 that the ground is just giving way underneath you. And, and it, when I read Habakkuk, 
And I read his response in verse 17 and 18. He says, I'm going to take, I'm going to rejoice in, the, in Yahweh. By the way, just, you know, I think some of you know this, but just, just to emphasize the point, anytime you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is, that's Lord, obviously, but the Hebrew word is Yahweh. That's God's covenantal name. It's his most personal name. Every time it's used, it's used in light of, or as a reminder that God is a God who doesn't break promises. He doesn't, he's not faithless. He's faithful. And Habakkuk's recalling that. That's why he uses God's personal name, Yahweh. He is the covenant-keeping God. He doesn't, he doesn't divorce his people. He doesn't, he doesn't end covenant. He doesn't send them off and, and, and write them off. I'm reminded of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. We should read this together because we, we should be reminded of this. Again, the NIV. I love the way the NIV uh, you know, translates this verse. Let's read it together. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. Amen? Like most of you, if not all of you, I don't, you know, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. And God is not a bad dad. He's good. The third principle is, that, is to trust that God is greater than your loss. Sometimes it's so easy to be consumed by your loss and feel like, you know what, there's nothing, like God can't possibly overcome this. But God is greater than your loss. He's greater than your pain. He's greater than your suffering. And Habakkuk is leaning into that in verse 19. The ESV translates it, God, the Lord is my strength. What it should be is, Yahweh, the sovereign one, is my strength. Again, I don't know why the ESV did this. I mean, every once in a while, the ESV makes me mad. I'm like, I'm going back to the NIV. And then, then I read something in the NIV. I'm like, I'm going back to the ESV. Um, but <laughs> this is one of those cases where I'm like, the NIV gets it right. Uh, that the sovereign Lord, this is the way the NIV translates it, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Well, what are the heights? How many of you have, been mount- have climbed the mountain? Right? How many of you have gotten to the top and are like, oh, this is kind of gnarly. Right? Like, I hope I don't lose my, what? Footing. Footing. <laughs> Right, it's dangerous. I've not climbed the mountain. I've ridden my bike up one, and um, you, you know, going down the switchbacks. There are times where I'm like, if I like black out, I'm dead. Like I'm Superman, but road pizza or whatever it is that you know. Here, Habakkuk saying, the covenant-keeping God is sovereign. He doesn't take naps. He doesn't go on vacation. He doesn't take breaks. He is the sovereign one. And he is in control. He's doing something here in my life. I might not fully understand it, but he's doing something that I can trust is beautiful and good. And, and so what Habakkuk says here is that because, because I know who God is, on the, on the mountain peaks where, where, uh, where some people feel like they're, they're going to lose their footing and if they fall, they're going to die. I know my feet are like the deer's and my feet are firmly planted on solid ground because it's not me that's holding myself up. It's the sovereign one who's got me. 
right? Does that make sense? I mean, this, this is real stuff. I, I, like, if you, really, if you really believe that God is bigger than your losses or greater than your losses, it's, when you get the news that you've been dreading or that was not even on your radar, whatever that is, it's not going to shipwreck your faith. It's not going to turn your world upside down in such a way that it's going to destroy your faith. It might cause you to scratch your head and wonder, whoa, what's up? Like Paul. Paul said, we looked at this last week. Paul said, three times I pleaded with the Lord that he would remove what? A thorn in his flesh. We're not told exactly what that is, but we have an idea. It was probably something physical that just followed him everywhere he went. And uh, he said, three times I pleaded with God that he would take this from me. And he told me, he finally answered me. He said, my strength is what? Perfected in your weakness. And um, it's not the answer that Paul was probably looking for, but, it, but it's what he needed. And the Habakkuk is the same thing. He's like, hey, I don't want this thing to come. I don't want the Babylonians to come. But one thing I'm certain of is that this God, my God, he's for me. He's not against me. He is my strength. Um, he, he, he's, he's got me. Uh, in, uh, let's see, which, uh, there was a, this, the word strength here is actually not an adjective. It's a noun. This is another interesting thing here. Uh, the, the Habakkuk saying, God is my army. The Babylonian Empire is coming, and they're coming with thousands and thousands of their soldiers and their chariots, and they're going to level Judah. But God is my army. He is the, he's the one who spoke the galaxies into existence. He's the one who, who, who raises the dead. He's the one who parts seas. He is my army. And when the armies, when the, when the armies uh, you know, come, the enemy of the Lord comes, God's going to use them for his purposes. But at the same time, I know that God is my army. He will protect me and he will guide me. And, and even when the, the, the ground beneath me seems like it's giving way, my feet will be firmly planted, planted on his sovereign will. That's why um, marriage in the Bible, and we're going to get into this next week and the week after, and a couple weeks after, uh, we'll, we'll touch on that. Next week we're going to talk about same-sex attraction, and the week after that I have somebody who's going to actually um, share his, his story that will be you know, equally powerful as the other stories that you've heard. But, but marriage is taken so seriously in the Bible. Why? Because it's a picture it's meant to be a picture, a picture, a portrait of God's relationship with his people. And, and, and so when you, if you're married, when you stood in front of your spouse uh, before maybe some people who were witness to what you're about to say, you, you, you promised, you entered into a covenantal promise that you would love that person no matter what. That, and, and, and during the worst of times and in the best of times, in sickness and in what? Health, like you were going to stick with that person. You were deciding that you were going to agape love them no matter what. And so in the Bible, that's why the, you know, divorce is a horrible thing. It's an evil thing. It's not meant to be the experience, our human experience on this side of eternity. And the reason being is because we have a God who doesn't break his promises. He doesn't divorce his people. Now he, does, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the, conf- the, the guarantee of that is the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet 
like that of a deer. He enables me, enables me, he enables me to tread on the heights. You know, I'm not sure what losses, you know, are represented in this room entirely. I don't know what you're grieving right now, but, you know, God is bigger than your loss, your losses. Um, when I read this, this passage in Habakkuk, you know, though the fig tree should not blossom, and he says, even if I lose everything, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, and, and God is my strength. I'm reminded of Gethsemane. I'm reminded of Jesus in Gethsemane, where he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You know, what cup? I told you about this cup. The, the cup of God's wrath was in front of them. And he says, if it's possible for me to do this, apart from drinking the cup of your wrath, let it be, but not my will, your will be done. And what did Jesus do? What did he do? What cup did he drink? The cup of God's wrath. In whose place? Want to raise a hand? All of you should be raising your hands, right? He drank that cup in your place and in my place. And, and what does that guarantee? It guarantees that he will never forsake you or leave you if that's where your trust is, if, that, if you've placed your faith and trust in him. It is 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Habakkuk chapters, you know, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 has 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 written all over it. See what great love the Father has, what again? Lavished. Lavished upon us. And Every time I think of the word lavish, I think of Niagara Falls. That's, it always comes into my mind. I've shared this numerous times. I think of, you know, if I were on the Maid of the Mist and I had a cup in my hand and they took us close enough to Niagara Falls and I stuck my cup underneath Niagara Falls and if I was able to hold it and withstand the power of Niagara Falls, that's a picture of God's lavishing love upon you and upon me. It will never end. It will never run dry. That's how God feels about you and about me, about his children. Some of you experience great loss. I, you know, I, I wish, I, I, I've, I've talked to some of you. I wish I, wish I could fix it. I wish there was an easy fix, and there, there isn't. Not all the time. I... Uh, Here's what I know. I know that in the midst of your loss and whatever suffering you're experiencing, God is doing something beautiful in your life. And I could say with full confidence that, you know, two and a half years ago, however long it was, in 2017, when your previous pastor stood before you and said, I'm no longer qualified to be your pastor because I'm divorcing my wife, your hearts, many of your hearts, some of you are like, I don't even know the guy. So many of you do, and your hearts are crushed, and some of you are still licking your wounds over that, like you're still bleeding over that. And, and even in the midst of that, God was doing something amazing in the midst of the pain of Meadowbrook and, and, and Renee and, and their kids. I, the search committee, I think it was Phil. You had, did you ask me for a selfie, Phil? I, I, I think you asked me for a selfie. To when I became the candidate of Meadowbrook. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I have a selfie. So I went through my Facebook account, and I'm like, well, okay, i got to find a selfie. And I don't know how many minutes I was scrolling through the selfie. And I came across the picture. It was taken in uh, 2014. 
which is me sitting next to your previous pastor. I, I, I don't even remember the conversation. I don't, I, did we talk? I, I don't remember. Like, I showed up late, and this was the only seat. Like, that my friend Ryan, Ryan uh, was the worship arts guy at Monsieur Day Fellowship, and I said to Ryan, hey, you want to go to this conference with me? It's in Cheyenne, we'll, we'll hang out. But we're going to a pastor's lunch for pastors and their wives, so you have to be my wife just for an afternoon. Because <laughs> Roy Ma was working. So he's like, okay. So, so I said, and you know, what this, you know what this picture told me before I sent it to the search committee? It's like, wow. In the, 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 I mean, Meadowbrook was thriving in 2014, right? It was entering into a season of just crazy growth. And then Missio Day Fellowship, well, I was having, I, was, I planted Missio Day Fellowship in 2010, and we're in year four, and I was having so much fun. Cheyenne was not on my radar. And, and what was happening, what would happen in 2017, I can guarantee you, was not on Billy's radar or Renee's radar or your radar. But God was doing something beautiful in this. You know what that picture tells me? That picture tells me God, what God was speaking to me through this picture was, you may have not had Cheyenne on your radar, but I did. And I, in the midst of even some horrible things, I was going to do, I'm going to do something beautiful and amazing, and you're going to land in Cheyenne. And you wouldn't even believe it if I told you. Right? And, uh, and so... I know that God is doing something amazing and beautiful in your life. Here's the other thing I know, and this is what's kind of haunted me in a good way since, since we came. Uh, I knew that at some point you needed to hear from Renee, and Renee's going to come up and share her story because many of you have shared, you, you've experienced great pain and grief, and you're still bleeding over what happened, but of all the people that have suffered loss, in the midst of your previous pastor stepping down, Renee has suffered the most significant loss of all of you. You can't even imagine. And so, uh, we, you know, Roy Ma and myself have been in contact with Renee since the beginning. I think I called you and I'm like, I want you to know we're for you. We're not against you. We, uh, we are for you and we're praying for you. And God has been doing this work in her. And she's going to share her story because she can do it better. I can. So, God. <laughs> I'm so thankful to be here with you. Usually when I speak, I speak off of an outline because I have the gift of gab. But today, I want to read this to you because I want to make sure that I communicate the details of what God has done. On Mother's Day of 2017, I was on this stage, along with the pastor of Meadowbrook, and speaking about creating margins to experience God on a deeper level. I had no idea at that time that three months later, my life would be totally blown apart. In August of 2017, my husband of 27 years, and who was the pastor here, unexpectedly told me he wanted a divorce. For the next nine months, I went through the painful shattering of our marriage. We sold our family home, and I moved into an apartment. I had to give up my furniture business to take a training job for insurance. Because we were well-known in the Cheyenne community, gossip was like a sniper fire to my heart and soul. It also meant I lost a lot of friendships. As I unpacked boxes in my one-bedroom apartment, I kept thinking, Renee, 
you are one big failure. Look at where you're living. You are totally abandoned. You have been unloved and rejected, and what are you going to do now? Your ministry life is over. God may have called you to church planning when you were 22, and you've seen God do amazing things through your service at Lingle and at Cheyenne Hills Church. You've seen God grow Meadowbrook Church, and many people now know Jesus. But ministry for you is over. You are nothing but a middle-aged, divorced woman. As I hobbled through the debris of grief, I was so humbled by the many praying people. My brother is a pastor in South Dakota, and his church and their elders were praying for me. My mom's church in Iowa and her friend Sandy has prayed for me every day. The ladies from my hometown church, and I know many of you here at Meadowbrook, were praying for me. I quickly found a Christian therapist who provided a safe place to find truth and clarity. And God provide a constant friend and prayer warrior in Shauna Hamburger. She was fiercely loyal and prayed with faith and power over me. I believe God gave them as an emotional and spiritual triage through the deep pain that I was experiencing. I began praying for three things. The first was that God would reveal the truth. Not my truth, not his truth, not their truth. John 8.31 says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. I needed to know God's truth about who he is and who I am in the midst of this woundedness. The second prayer was that I could see and experience the love of Jesus. It was hard for me to understand how Jesus could love me and yet allow me to go through such rejection. So I prayed, Jesus, you say you love me. I need to feel you holding my hand and guiding me through this dark and cold place. Help me see your love and favor. And that led me to the story of Joseph in Genesis, which was my third prayer. Joseph was betrayed by his family and imprisoned in Egypt. Through the many ups and downs, he eventually could say in Genesis 50:20, though they meant it for evil, God meant it for good. So I prayed that God would redeem my story. Joseph named one of his sons Ephraim, meaning God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. So I asked God to make me fruitful, even though I had no idea what that would even look like. I believe because of the abundance of prayer and the wise counsel, God began to reveal the truth of my situation. Whenever God stripped away a lie or did something loving or good, I would jot that down on this big, huge blackboard that I had in my apartment. I wrote down things like Ann Voskamp's article, God Loves Me Too Much, Coffee with Sandy, and Keith Couch's sermon on worship before the battle. One time I was running in the park and thinking how I would love a cabbage burger. My sister stopped by and said, oh, I made cabbage burgers and I brought you one. Cabbage burger went up on the blackboard. God had anticipated my needs before I had. When people complimented my trainings at work, I would write that on the board. When I saw someone in King Supers and got an encouraging hug, I wrote it on the board. I needed to visually see these workings of God to counteract the panic and fear that I was living with, with the discouragement over my situation. 
About a year and a half into this, I told Dick Young, my former pastor, even with God by my side, I feel like I was dragged through the pit of hell. I couldn't understand how God was with me, and yet it had been so dark. Then I heard a sermon by Pastor Galen Huck on the word darkness in Psalm 139, 11, and 12. Those verses say, Surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. But even the darkness will be not dark to you. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. Galen explained the Hebrew letters were like hieroglyphics. And there's a symbol in the word darkness that means prison or sanctuary. The interpretation depends on whether we close our fists and quit or we open our hands to God to surrender to his work in our lives. The darkness can either shackle our spiritual growth and hinder God's healing, or it can be a sanctuary where God is attentive to our transformation. If we continue to stand in the darkness and not quit, we will eventually see the outpouring of God's goodness. When I heard this, I just sobbed. Because I realized the last two years of darkness had actually been a sanctuary and not a prison. My therapist had said God had rescued me. I can now understand that darkness had been a holy place of intensive care for me. It was an intensive care for my faith in Jesus and my identity in him. Though it had seemed like a dark place to me, it, it wasn't to God. This new perspective allowed me to reframe my loss and pain. And I regained hope that God would eventually use me to pr produce much fruit for his kingdom. Much to my surprise, a few months later, I was asked to speak at a woman's retreat. I was very hesitant, and I asked the chairwoman if being an ex-pastor's ex-wife would cause them to feel uncomfortable. She assured me that the core group of women at the retreat had been through enough hardships to be grace-giving. So I accepted, and I was just thrilled to see how God used my story to encourage these beautiful ladies. A few runners and I were having coffee and making crazy running goals when one of them start, expressed their concern about their kids and ex-wife. One lady expressed her frustration over her ex-husband, all three of us had been through the agony of divorce. We started talking about living out forgiveness. We chuckled at the realization that we had to forgive them today as much as when we were married. But that forgiveness doesn't mean we're still Facebook friends or that we want to have lunch with them. We all agreed that forgiveness is handing them over to God and letting go. And not just for our ex-spouse, but for the people who had shunned us or kept us um, at a distance and judged us during our most vulnerable time. We concluded that forgiveness is easier when our eyes are only on Jesus and we run with endurance our own race. By the end of our conversation, I think I signed up for a half marathon. A few months ago, I bumped into an old friend at church. As we were catching up, she blurted out, Renee, Satan tried to take you out. You see, since the Garden of Eden, Satan has been lying to us about who we are. And if he can get us to believe those lies, our trust in Jesus will erode, and then we will not fulfill our purpose on earth for God's glory. 
This journey has made me aware that I am deeply despised by Satan, but I'm passionately loved by Jesus. I'm no longer abandoned, but protected by God, my warrior. I'm not a failure, but a story of redemption written by the author of this divine drama of faith. I'm not rejected, for I am a woman deeply loved by God. Thank you, Renee. Um, one, I can't reiterate enough just that we are for you and not against you. And as a church, I speak on behalf of the elders, and I believe I speak for everyone here, we are, we are for you. Um, that you know, you've suffered much, you were victimized, and you know, what happened should never have happened to you. But what's awesome also is to see God He's turning this around, and like you, many of you heard last week and the week before, that this is a journey, uh, loss, suffering, it's a journey. It's not something, there are no easy buttons, and, um, but, God, but God is faithful. And uh, last, last, the last service, I just felt, you know, Romans chapter 8 would be a, a really a, an appropriate passage just to, to end with. Renee's also agreed to just hang out, and if you have any questions, if, you, if you're dealing with just the trauma of a divorce or what looks like maybe a divorce, you know, talk to Renee. I mean, she's, she's working through it. God is doing some pretty amazing things in her life, and um, it'd be helpful for you to talk to her. And if you just want to encourage her, if you want to just, just let her know how, how God has used her in your life, you can do that as well. Um, so Romans chapter 8, I think, is just an appropriate passage to, to end with. It says this, um, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I love these, these words. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, what you're doing in and through Meadowbrook. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in Renee's life and through Renee's life. God, I pray there will be many other opportunities where you will be able to use her to speak into the lives of the hurting, that uh, that you would just that she would be your mouthpiece, and that, that you would continually that you would continue to remind her that she is loved with uh, a, just a, an infinite love, uh, a covenantal love that you will never you will never break. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for our time together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church podcast. For more information about our church visit meadowbrook.org.